Sansuk by Dutter Manfred, Chapter 26, read by Sexy Smeagol Uwu, aka Flower Parish. Thorin charged down through the boiling, seething mass of Urukai, his eyes darting this way and that. He had last seen Gimli standing ankle-deep in the mud left from the block-deeping stream, his axes glinting in the rain, edged by the sudden flash of lightning. Gimli! he roared, and only the roar of the orcs answered him. Gimli, my star! Gimli Gloin's son, to me! To me, my kinsman! The sudden gleam of green and gold made him whirl and turn, and he saw Haldir pressed back by many Uruks, his proud face pinched and desperate. His sword moved in elegant sweeps as he fairly danced amongst the oncoming hordes, blonde hair sweeping in a graceful semicircle behind him as he span. Thorin! Freren's voice called, high and panicked. Thorin, please! Here, he shouted and darted back through the press of orc bodies and struggling elven warriors to see his little brother flattened against the stairs, his shoulders heaving and his face bloodless. I can't, he blurted the minute his eyes fixed upon Thorin, and his lips were nearly blue. I can't do it. Thorin cursed and caught Freren up in his arms, holding him tightly and allowing the little hands to clutch at his shoulders. Freren's face buried itself in the crook of his neck, and Thorin could feel him trembling violently. Great, uncontrolled spasms. I did not think, he said, and threaded one of his hands underneath Freren's golden hair to settle, reassuring and steady, upon the back of his neck. I am sorry, Nadadith. I did not think. Are you all right? Freren nodded, but the spasms did not subside. Thorin swore again. Do not look up, he said tersely. Keep your face buried in my hair. I have you, brother. You are safe. It was the sound, Freren mumbled, and then his whole back shuddered so fiercely that he nearly shook Thorin off. The sound. I can't hear that sound anymore. I just can't. I dream about it sometimes. Shh. Listen to me, to my voice, to my breath, Thorin said, and he stood carefully, letting Freren burrow tightly against him wrapping his arms protectively around the fine, golden head. His brother was so light, so small, barely an adolescent. It was obscene that they had ever sent such a young Duero into a battle in the first place. They had been desperate. They had been proud. They had been such fools. Thorin looked around the battleground, but there was still no sight of Gimli. Elves lay scattered like crushed leaves underneath the ugly, hook-pointed weapons of Isengard. The battle shouts of Urukai rang out into the night, and he whirled awkwardly, his hand cupping Freren's head as he did so. Stay with me, he murmured, and began to move purposefully back through the Sea of Orcs. Do not open your eyes. Listen to my voice, Narad. My voice alone, Abkun Durzud. Hold tight now. Move with me. Step as I do. Freren clutched at him even more tightly, but his shudders began to subside at the sound of his dark name. 
The great sheer cliffs of the Hornburg rose before them, and Thorin stared about, trying to see through the reeking smoke and the shifting mass of tall bodies that blocked his view. Caves, he murmured to himself, and urged Frerin to take another step forward. The sticky sweet smell of blood and the shrieks were beginning to affect him as well. Where were these caves Aragorn had spoken of? He let his eyes robe over the cliffs with increasing desperation, trying to spot the shifts in grain and formation that only a dwarf could recognize. Thorin, look, Frerin said, his voice small and hoarse, but there. Thorin followed Frerin's shaking finger to where the roots of the White Mountains sprang from the earth. There, nestled at the foot of the valley, strangely small amidst the godlike pressures that had forced these mountains from their place in the ground, were the unmistakable rounded shapes of granite that had been weathered by time and water. There is no river here, he breathed, and then he dragged Frerin as quickly as he dared toward the gray rounded boulders. No river, only a stream. Any river has been blocked, or is underground. Frerin scurried beside him, his face grim and pale, and his eyes averted from the slaughter around them. Let's get out of this, he said, and began to pick up the pace. Frerin, wait for it, Thorin began to say, but he was interrupted by a strange, mournful cry. He whirled, and then saw the tall, elegant figure of Haldir standing upon the broken, deeping wall, his sword still at his side, and his frame strangely motionless. As he watched, the elf span, his dark blue eyes filled with horror and disbelief, and then he slumped to the ground. He did not move again. Thorin stared and stared. Thorin, called Frerin. Thorin, there's an opening. It's too small for an Uruk, but Gimli could have made it. Thorin, please, let's get out of here. I have never seen an elf die, said Thorin dumbly, watching Haldir's hair spill over his leaf-embossed armor like golden blood. I did not think to. They die so easily. They may live forever, but they may be snuffed out by a blow that could not have felled a dwarf. Thorin, Frerin howled, please. Gimli will be saddened, Thorin said to himself, ignoring the press of Urukai that stormed through his insubstantial body towards the keep. He will see how Legolas grieves. Then he shook the strange mood from himself and turned, charging over to where Frerin waved frantically. His brother ducked inside the cave opening, just as Thorin made it, sliding in amongst the stones and the dark. What were you doing? snapped Frerin, his voice high and tight. Haldir is fallen, Thorin said curtly, and then he pushed forward into the darkness. Thanks to the full night outside, it took very little time for his eyes to adjust. The small tunnel was indeed too narrow and low for any man or orc or elf to make the passage, but a dwarf or hobbit, or goblin for that matter, could manage it fairly easily. It leads down and towards the south. Good, said Frerin, scowling fiercely now that the worst of his fright had left him. He still sounded shaken, and Thorin reached out and grasped his small, light shoulder in order to ground him. Do the memories hold you firm in their grasp yet, he said, and Frerin stiffened. I, he said, 
and then he dropped his head. Thorin stepped closer and pulled Freren against his side. You are not the only one who suffers thusly, he said bluntly. I have simply had more time in which to learn how to hide it. I dare say our father, Fundin, Balin, and the others have their own nightmares to deal with. Do not be ashamed, Freren. Freren's breath caught, and then he looked up at Thorin with very wide eyes. That is so strange, he said in a half-whisper. I feel as though we've swapped roles. Aren't I supposed to say things like that to you? Thorin shook Freren's shoulders once, and then began to move into the lightless tunnel. Cheek. He could hear Freren's intake of breath, and then the small shoulders suddenly drained of tension in one swoop. I wonder where this leads. Eowyn had to take people to the caves, Thorin remembered. Aye, but that entrance was through the keep, argued Freren. And only the smaller children could have possibly made it through that narrow crack. Hmm, stay close, Thorin said, and began to pick his way over uneven stone that was covered in debris and slimy moss. The deepening stream must once have run through this place, or rain trickled down through the strata to create the close, musty dampness. I wonder how Gimli did with his boots on this stuff, Freren muttered, inadvertently echoing Thorin's thoughts. No doubt he managed, he said, and ignored the tiny voice at the back of his mind that whispered, What if he never made it here? What if he is buried in the mud outside, and you could not see him amongst Saruman's foul horde? I can hear a voice ahead, said Freren suddenly, grasping at Thorin's sleeve. He turned his hand to take Freren's firmly and led him onwards. Kuzd, he murmured. I can't tell sighed Freren after a moment. Keep going, and I'll tell you if we move the wrong way. The walls grew smoother, the moss disappearing. Thorin rounded a corner, and was forced to climb over a narrow fall of rock that nearly blocked the tunnelway. He helped Freren scramble after him, before turning. His breath caught. Glory to Mahal, breathed Freren in dumbstruck awe. Before them lay a huge and graceful chamber, carved out by nothing more than the rushing of water, as though scooped out by some godlike hand. The great vaulted ceiling was held aloft by great stalagmites that had joined the floor over the many centuries, forming thick pillars like the legs of an oliphant. Each was colored so delicately that Thorin nearly cried to see them. A dawn rose here, a red as fierce as rubies there, peach and blue and rust and ochre and earth, mingling and commingling, and whites as translucent as the shell of a hobbit's ear. A pool bubbled amongst the many pillars, the underground spring obviously finding purchase in this peaceful, beautiful place. Its surface shone like black glass, the water echoing like the chiming of many bells amongst the fluted marble bunting that floated, cloud-like and delicate, from the roof. From the ceiling and walls dripped the shapes of eagles' wings, spears, banners, sensuously twisted ropes of marble and limestone, massive pinnacles of unearthly palaces for no mortal king. It was more stupendous than the Erebor of the days of Thror, all aglow as though lit from within and as lucent as the webbed skin between Thorin's thumb and forefinger. And all around, the walls and columns and even the floor of the massive chamber glittered like a handful of diamonds against black velvet. Ukratin, Thorin said, his mouth dry and his face slack with awe. 
Why did we ever ignore such a place? Freren wondered, drifting towards one of the sparkling pillars and reaching out as though to touch it, with a dreamy look on his face. How could we have passed by such beauty for so many years and never have known it? See how the jewels give their own light, Thorin marveled, before he spied a small figure at the end of the massive natural chamber, moving slowly but steadily south. There! Freren's span startled. He squinted after Thorin's finger, before letting out a whoop. It's him! He's alive! Gimli's alive! Thorin tried to hide the sudden sagging of his knees. Of course he is, he said, and ignored the hoarse croak of his voice. Of course he is. Ah, Nadad, said Freren, suddenly close and worming his way under his arm. He grinned up at Thorin, his mouth and eyes tense but a genuine joy in his face nonetheless. Let us get to him before you do something foolish again, like run back out into the battle. They cannot harm us, Thorin said automatically, but Freren scoffed. There are other forms of harm, big brother, he said darkly, and urged Thorin to shift his legs, loose and weak with relief though they were. Legolas will not mourn. He will have no cause to cut that pale elven hair, came the unexpected thought, and he frowned. Where had that come from? Come on, Slowpoke, Mahal below, but you are heavy, Freren said, tugging at him. Thorin realized that he had inadvertently stopped, and he began to walk again. Sorry, he said under his breath. Freren blew out an annoyed puff of air. You are entirely too big, ostentatious I call it. Thorin smiled, and then, as he neared the shape of the lone dwaro in the dark, he laughed. Ostentatious I. I have been accused of that before, he said, mostly by Dwalin. Dwalin was a great friend to me, Freren said piously, and then nudged at Thorin's ribs. Race you? You will win, he said, and shrugged. So, no. He used to call you a spoilsport too, as I recall. Freren wrinkled his nose, and then suddenly chuckled. Gimli has not gotten very far, it seems. These caves are so wondrous, it does not exactly surprise me, Thorin replied. Gimli's helm was missing, and his face was covered in blood. The sight of it made Thorin recoil for a moment, before he steeled himself. Gimli, he said, and the Dwero's broad back immediately straightened, leaving off his minute inspection of the beautiful, mysterious, glittering jewels. My lord, he cried joyously, do you see where we stand? What beauty the Rohirrim have beneath their very feet! Is it not glorious? It is fair beyond measure, my star, Thorin said, and he drank in the well-known features, so animated and lively even under their coating of blood. You must not tarry, however. Your friends wait for you and worry. Gimli looked stricken for a moment, and then he stepped forward, gazing past Thorin in the darkness. Legolas, is he... are he and Aragorn safe? Are they well? Well enough when I left them, Thorin said. The Hornburg is lost, and the Uruks make for the keep. These caves are reported to meet behind the keep. Ah, so that is where that echo leads, Gimli mused, looking up and to his left. I could feel the space in the stone, but I could not tell where it would take me. This mountain is riddled with such spaces, however. You can feel the emptiness underneath your palms and in your feet as you walk. Would that the most skilled of our artists and stonewrights could see this. 
a vast and beautiful hall. So untouched, it makes you wonder if Mahal's own feet stepped here before the marring of the world. Poetic indeed, Freren murmured, and Thorin tried to restrain the smile of gladness that simply would not stop from spreading over his face. Gimli, this is a place of wonder and enchantment, but it is beset by many foes, he reminded him gently. There will be time later, my star, time enough to marvel and explore. Now you are needed, Azgalbalkul. You must find the passage to the people's refuge, and thence to the keep. Ah, you are right, Gimli said regretfully, and he took one last look over the achingly glorious chamber with all its dark and sparkling mystery. His hand lifted, hovering over one of the glittering walls, though he knew better than to touch it and so leave behind the oils upon his skin. Do you know the way? Freren snorted loudly, and then stuffed his hand into his mouth. Gimli frowned. Someone found that amusing, my lord. My brother, said Thorin, dry as dust. He folded his arms and gave Freren a long look. Well? Oh, your brother, Gimli exhaled, as though in long-anticipated understanding. <laughs> Sorry, it's just... Freren snickered, and then tried to calm himself unsuccessfully. Most dueros know better than to ask Thorin for directions. Gimli's mouth twitched beneath his fine mustache. Up, Thorin growled. Is that enough of a direction for you? It will suffice, thank you, said Gimli as diplomatically as he could under the circumstances, and he turned and began to jog towards the rear of the chamber, the jewels glinting and sparkling all around him, their light piercingly clear amidst the darkness. There is one of the echoes here. The stone has a fault and cannot be followed perfectly, but it sounds as though, ah, yes, here. Gimli shouldered his way through the narrow opening, only to find another cluttered tunnel before him. Up it is then, he muttered to himself, and swiped at his blood-smeared face. Beautiful, Thorin said to himself as Gimli began to make his way through the close black warmth of the tunnel gems winking at him like a constellation of stars. To the right, and then, no, there is another way, Gimli muttered, and he turned on his heel to retrace his steps, his fist banging against the scales of his brigandine every so often, sending metallic echoes dancing before him to guide the way. He moved back and through the debris-strewn tunnel for a few dozen paces before crawling into a hole that met the tunnel at waist height. It was slick with moisture, and Gimli's gauntleted hands had to grip the sides of the new tunnel to stop his knees from sliding in the muck. Definitely an underground river here at some point, Freren grumbled. Moss, Gimli said thoughtfully. This connects above, if seeds can take purchase in the dark even for the slightest time. This burrow has known light, however sporadic and faint. Hmm. Thorin did not know quite so much about such things as some of his company, nor even as much as Gimli, an ex-miner from his youth. Does it open up above? A mailed hand crashed against the slimy stone, echoes tinkling back to them, and then Gimli grunted. Not above, he said, his nose wrinkling. There is another small passage ahead, twisted and narrow. It climbs upwards, then opens out into another, larger cavern. Large enough to get through? Freren asked, pushing his hair off his face and peering into the gloom before them. Aye, I think so, Gimli said, and his smile was grim. 
I was ever an inattentive pupil when it came to divining caves, but I did manage to pick up a bit of this and that. You're more expert than either of us, Thorin said bluntly. Move on, my star. What we really need here is Bofur, Gimli muttered to himself. And then he resumed crawling through the tunnel, his armor clanking against the stones as he squeezed through the narrow spaces. His broad shoulders were of no assistance in this dank and confined place, and Thorin found himself holding his breath at times, wondering whether the Dwaro could make it through some particularly small gap. Thankfully, the moss and moisture helped ease the way, and Gimli was able to push through with some inspired wriggling. The next passage loomed in the darkness, its surfaces glittering faintly and illuminating the velvet blackness with a wan, pale light. Gimli took it without a word, his eyes darting this way and that. He used the pointed hook of his axe now and then to crash against the walls, listening carefully to the echoes. What I wouldn't give for a pickaxe right now, he murmured absently, before rubbing at his neck. Thorin's own neck was beginning to ache from the cramped position they had to assume. Only Freren seemed unaffected, though he was clearly a little out of his depth in the unfamiliar tunnels. I've never been through such an untouched place before, he whispered to Thorin, sitting back on his heels and gazing about at the jeweled grandeur that encrusted even this most modest and unassuming of tunnels. No stairs, no finished walls, no ladders or propped beams or even mine sign. We might be the first ever to go through here. Very likely, Thorin grunted, stubbornly placing one hand in front of the other. Come, the tunnels slope upwards. Perhaps soon there will be room to stand. Oh, is your back giving you trouble, old man? Freren teased, before chuckling softly and resuming his way. Try to keep up, Nadad. Brat, Thorin growled, and Gimli made a strange, choked-off noise. Apologies, he said in a muffled tone, steadfastly looking ahead as he kept moving. I simply, it is a surprise to me, that's all. Your brother. You speak just as I do to my sister. Thorin fell silent, and then he felt Freren's shoulder bump against his in the close, claustrophobic confines of the tunnel. No matter the years that separated us, we are still brothers, I, he said, and then nudged Freren back. Though it took some time for this blind fool to see it, I shall have to join you and Eomer and Eothane in your confederation of long-suffering older siblings. Gimli's short bark of laughter was rather astonished. Glad to have you. Freren's breath caught noiselessly in his throat, and then he pushed close to Thorin, his slight weight a persistent and comforting presence by his side. Up here, Gimli said, and carefully stood, his hand raised above his helmless head to prevent him from cracking it upon the ceiling. Still rather low, getting steep. Watch your feet, Gimli. Thorin cautioned absently as he stood, hauling Freren upright as well. He had no need to watch his insubstantial head, nor worry over slippery footing, but he could at least watch for Gimli's sake. Aye, very treacherous, Gimli agreed, and then he began to use the hook point of his axe to draw himself up the steadily inclining slope. They fell silent. At one point, the tunnel became so vertical that Gimli was forced to press his shoulders against one wall and walk up the other side, his axe lodged in a small crevice and his arms bulging with strain. Finally, the tunnel opened out into another graceful cavern, 
but this time the murmur of voices was not a lone duero exclaiming in stunned delight. Instead, a crowd of Rohirrim, their hair disheveled and their faces smudged, were crowded around the far side of the cave. Aha! Gimli breathed, and he made to move forward. Uh, Gimli, Freren said, biting at his lip. You may wish to wipe off your face. You're covered in blood and muck, and those are some very small children. Gimli blinked, and then he smiled. Very well. I have no wish to frighten children, after all. It is orcs I would put fear into. He bent and tore a corner of the warm woolen surcoat that the brothers Ree had made him so very long ago, and wiped over his face with it before binding the wound upon his head. Better? Thorin restrained a grimace. It will serve. To tell the truth, it was barely better at all, but perhaps Gimli's wild beard and blood-smeared appearance would not frighten this hard, rugged people. As it turned out, however, Gimli was not greeted by shouts of alarm, but by a short cry of surprise, shortly followed by a high-pitched call of, Mr. Dwarf! Gimli automatically snapped to his full height, his axe spinning behind his back, just as a small body came pelting towards him, blonde hair flying, to crash directly against his chest. Oof, Gimli managed, his free hand coming up to clasp at the slight figure that clung to him. Now then, who's this? Mr. Dwarf, you are all messy, piped the voice, and the blonde head turned to reveal a small face, pinched with tension, but determined. Gimli smiled at her underneath the coating of grime, and chucked her chin with his gauntleted hand. Hello there again, Miss Frida. I see you are not afeard of the fighting above. Why, had you been armed, I dare say you would have taken my head off, so fierce was that charge. She beamed up at him, before tugging at his grubby surcoat. There's water, she said, and then she swallowed hard. We heard the big crash before. Mama was afraid, and the Lady Eowyn said a bad word. What happened? Gimli let her tug him along, for once looming over his companion. That is a tale best told once, and too many, he said, his face turning grim. And I have wasted enough time already. Water would be a kindness, little lass, but after that I must be away. Did the magic of the dwarves show you how to enter the caverns? Came the echoing voice of Eowyn, cool and tinged with the slightest hint of jealousy. Why could it not lead you hence again? The magic of dwarves is in cunning doors and clever runes, lady, Gimli protested, lifting his hands as Frida tugged harder at his jerkin. Training and luck led me to these wondrous caves, nothing more. Eowyn stepped forward in the gloom, a pitcher of water in her hands and her hair tied back in a severe knot. She was dressed simply, with no full skirts to hinder her, and her sword rested at her hip. And the way back, she said, handing Gimli the pitcher. He accepted it with a courteous bow of his head. The deeping wall is breached, Gimli said after a pause, and then he took a deep draught of water as around him the women and children of Rohan cried out in shock and horror. I was in the breach when it happened. Saruman has brewed some new foul sorcery that can burn even stone. I escaped to the foot of the White Mountains, where I found a narrow opening that led to the caves. Were you followed? Eowyn said her tone harsh. Thorin found himself clenching his jaw, even as he nodded at her in approval. This shield maiden knew the business of war, and asked the right questions. No wonder Theoden trusted her alone to guide the people in his absence. 
Gimli tugged off his gauntlets and then splashed water over his face, causing muck to trail down his cheeks and into his beard in dark rivulets. No, he said, looking up at her. No man, elf or uruk, could have followed the path I took. A mountain goblin would be the only other creature able to navigate those dark and twisting ways, or fit through those narrow tunnels. I could fit, Frida said suddenly, and she looked back at the way Gimli had come with wide and fearful eyes. I could fit through there if you could, Master Dwarf. Aye, that you could, I wager, and your brother too, no doubt, Gimli said gently, wiping his face some more. But Miss Frida, you would not know which way to go, would you? That is a dwarf's business. She lifted a lock of her hair to her mouth and chewed upon it absently, before nodding. I suppose so, she said dubiously, though she appeared unconvinced. However, she was interrupted by her name, breathed in an urgent and rather mortified voice, and suddenly her mother and brother were there to gather her up. Her mother's face appeared confounded at the company her daughter was keeping. Apologies, my lady, my lord, she stammered, clutching Frida tightly and ducking her head awkwardly. It's just Mr. Dwarf, Mama, Frida's voice came, muffled in her mother's hair. He's nice. Gimli smiled up at the woman, and Eowyn laid a calming hand on her shoulder. Be easy, good wife, she said, and then turned back to Gimli. You are bleeding. Am I? Gimli touched the rag bound about his forehead and then shrugged. It is not serious. Now, which way must I go to enter the keep? I fear I have left my friends behind with no word with me. Eowyn's brows rose, and she stepped back to show a clear tunnel, well-lit and spacious, leading upwards. Tell me, how does the king fare? she asked in a low voice, as she led him towards it. Well, last I saw, Gimli said after a pause. He was fighting from the upper battlements, along with his bondsmen. Dawn should be on us soon, and the light will give men strength and take it from the creatures of Saruman. Keep the courage of your people high, my lady. Though the deeping wall is lost and the Hornburg taken, all is not yet fallen to darkness. She looked ahead, her mouth set in a grim line. I would feel better if I could see this with my own eyes. Then I shall do embassy for you, lady, if you allow it. Let my eyes be yours, and I shall tell you of all I see, Gimli said, with another small bow, and Freren shook his head. Every now and then, I forget how smooth and subtle a tongue he has, he said with a snort. When he chooses to use it, Thorin said, and smiled over at the filthy dwarf. Gimli was covered in blood and cave muck and mud from the deeping stream, and yet he was strong and straight and unbent, his nobility and eloquence shining through. Eowyn glanced down at him, and then she said stiffly, That would be a kindness, Master Gimli. It would be an honor, and my friends call me Gimli, he said, as she opened the storerooms to let him through into the keep. I will return. None can promise that in war, she said, and her face was bitter. Tell me of the great deeds you do in my name. I fear that is all that may ever be allowed to me. Gimli paused at the threshold, and then turned to gaze up at her, frowning thoughtfully. No, he said slowly. Perhaps it is all that time spent with an elf, but that alone? No, that I cannot see for you. A safe, slow, comfortable life would suit you ill. Great deeds will be yours, White Lady of the Rohirrim. Not at this place or time, but soon. I only fear that they may cost you more than you have to pay. 
She stared down at him, and her eyes blazed. Better any price than to stay beating my wings against the bars of my cage, a cage made of duty and care and love, but a cage nonetheless. If great deeds may be mine, Master Gimli, I would seek them when and where I could, and not where others deem it fitting. Unexpectedly, Gimli laughed. And you think that is what we do now? Lady, you are fair and brave. And were the decision mine, I would have you at my back and gladly. But no man, elf, or dwarf here has made the choice to fight of his own accord. No, nor the Uruks either, bred and born for this as they were, with no options in either function or loyalty. Myself, I was sent to fight for Middle-earth, chosen by my people to represent Durin's folk. The elves have come out of ages-old duty and obligation. Your folk have no choice. Your king has no choice. None here would ever have asked for such a fate as this. Eowyn's eyes grew hard and cold, and she drew herself up tall. Perhaps not, she said in a rough voice, but I know where my not-choice would lie, were I born a son and not a daughter. Gimli squinted up at her. Aye, and that confuses me somewhat, he said, shrugging. Dwarves do not keep their womenfolk away from the business of war, as it eventually ends up as everyone's business anyway. I do not understand why a fair and strong lady should be trained as a warrior and then kept from a battlefield. But I do know that she is the only member of her noble family, save the king, left in this keep, and she has a duty, one she would not have chosen, but hers nonetheless. I have always done my duty, she said, stung and offended. I have never shirked it. Peace, that is not what I said, Gimli said, holding up his hands in a conciliatory manner. Lady Eowyn, it is hard to be left behind. I understand. I know. She glared at him. How would a dwarf and a warrior know what it is to be left behind with the women and children? He tipped his head. Because my father and uncle and cousins, my dearest friends, all marched away after my king to kill a dragon and take back our home, and left me, chafing with worry, by my mother's hearth in Arid Lewin. It is not only a shield maid who must suffer the long, slow pain of waiting. At least you will not have to wait over a year for news as I did. Thorin let his eyes fall to his feet and then muttered, I cannot find it in me to be sorry that we left you behind, Nidoyel. You were but sixty, and we have lost enough young ones over the centuries to fill an ocean with their blood. I am glad you lived on, safe if sorrowful. Freren moved to stand by Thorin's side, his small fingers creeping against the back of Thorin's clenched fist. Gimli's wild red head stooped a little, but he said nothing, only waited. Eowyn paused, and then she bowed her head. I am sorry, Master Dwarf, she said, and then turned away. I take my frustration out on you, and you do not deserve my scorn nor my accusations. Please forgive me. Gimli stepped forward, laying a huge hand upon her slim white one. Nothing to forgive, he said gently, and do please call me Gimli. She turned her hand over to squeeze his once before nodding. Gimli, she said quietly, and then she looked up to meet his eyes. Go, do me this embassy, and kill as many of those choiceless creatures as you can, for my sake. Aye, that I will, Gimli said, 
and smiled up at her again. Then, he shouldered his axe and was gone into the tunnel. It opened out into spiraling stairs that climbed through the mountain's good, solid stone, and Gimli began to pick up his pace as the sounds of fighting, of men shouting and blades crashing, reached them. Urud Mednu, he managed, as he rounded a corner before charging through the open corridor that met him. I see all that running has done him good, Frerin said, puffing slightly as he kept pace. He's like a battering ram, isn't he? Thorin had no breath with which to answer. With a final skid of his hobnailed boots, Gimli turned another corner to see the king standing wearily over a table. A great hole had been torn in his fine armor by a spear point, and his helm sat before him, marked by many blades. He looked up as Gimli entered. Ah, he said humorlessly, Master Dwarf, your friends will be relieved, they thought you lost. Theoden's voice was dull and brittle, and a savage and hopeless bitterness, so like that of his niece far below, rode in his face. Gimli nodded once to the man, and then looked around at the bustling hall. Where are they? Beyond, he said, nodding at the doors. We have lost the outer keep. They fall back now. The outer keep also? Gimli rubbed at his forehead, inadvertently starting the bleeding from his wound once more. This is ill news. And it will grow worse, I fear, Theoden said, before turning to Gamling, who stood nearby. Prepare to brace the doors. Archers to the front, cover them. We've barely any archers left, my lord, Erkenbrand called as he fought off an orc that snarled at him like a rabid badger. Spearmen, then, damn you, Theoden roared. Anything. Let us seal the doors. Not yet, surely, Gimli protested, and then he lifted his axe, his eyes afire with determination. There are good folk out there still defending the outer keep. I hear the ring of their steel and the cries of their voices. I will cover the breach. Do not close and seal the doors. You have no ranged weapon. You cannot hold them, Theoden snapped back. Gimli growled in Kuzdul for a moment before stepping up. With his blood-stained face, wild hair, and his mud-ridden armor, he looked like an ancient dwarf hero, a figure out of legend. I said, I will hold the door, he snarled back. Watch and learn how an axe may be wielded in the right hands. Theoden let out a cry of frustration, before waving one arm roughly toward the doors. Then may you doom us all to whatever fate awaits you, I pray you can do as you say, Master Dwarf, or Rohan is finished. I am no liar, Gimli growled, and then he turned and raced for the open doors where Erkenbrand, Gamling, and the others fought valiantly to stop the Urukai from entering the inner keep. Bert Kazad, Kazad Aymanu, he roared as he neared, his axe swinging behind his shoulder in preparation for a mighty blow. Back, you foul creatures, you cannot enter here. He landed upon the gathered throng like a cauldron of hot oil, scattering the Uruks and creating a space that soon crowded with fallen bodies and twitching limbs. Thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, Gimli chanted, as his axe span and whirled as never before, keeping the oncoming press of orcs at a distance. Freren turned to Thorin. I'm not even going to be shocked, he announced flatly. That shouldn't be possible but I can't find a single ounce of surprise left in me anymore. 
Thorin chuckled and let a hand rest upon Freren's shoulder, gazing upon his fierce, magnificent star until he thought he might burst. I was all he said, and could Gloin or Oin be any prouder of Gimli than Thorin was in this moment? I. Even the greatest heroes of antiquity could not stem the flood of orcs forever. As time passed, Thorin noticed Gimli's arcs become marginally slower, and each blow did not wound. Gimli's bare head fairly glowed in the pre-dawn light, but the shadows beneath his eyes were deep, and the blood upon his face was trickling into his beard once more. A lucky thrust by an Uruk pikeman had dented his brigandine at the shoulder, and he was holding it awkwardly. Fall back, Master Dwarf, shouted Gamling. Never, he said, through lips drawn tight in a snarl. They will not get through. The last of our people are here. Fall back, Gamling urged, but Gimli shook his head. Thirty-nine. No, they have not. I have seen no hide nor hair of my companions. Here I shall stand, rooted to this stone, until they pass me. We must close the doors, Erkenbrand managed. A savage cut had been made to his sword arm, and he was wielding with the other somewhat awkwardly. No, Gimli roared, and redoubled his flagging efforts. His axe span and span, until Thorin could not see its lines clearly in the air. And then, Gimli, Gloinson, lay down your weapon, Thorin shouted, standing forward. They are here, they are here. You have held the door, Balokun. You have done it. Gimli froze, his axe held ready in another aborted blow. His eyes darted wildly. Here? There, Thorin said, and sure enough, two figures were busy barring the door, one dark and one elven fair. Gimli's axe slipped from his fingers, and he sank down with a sigh. Thank Mahal. It is over, Theoden spat, waving off the men who would help Aragorn and Legolas to bar the doors. The world changes, and all that was once strong now proves unsure. How shall any tower withstand such numbers and such reckless hate? Had I known that the strength of Isengard was grown so great, maybe I should not so rashly have ridden forth to meet it, for all the arts of Gandalf. His counsel seems not now so good as it did under the morning sun. Aragorn threw another bar across the doors, and then turned to glare at Theoden with blazing eyes. You said this fortress would never fall while your men defend it. They still defend it. They have died defending it. Theoden shut his eyes. It is said that the Hornburg has never fallen to assault, he said with bitter irony. The end will not be long. Is there no other way for the women and children to get out of the caves? Aragorn demanded, as Legolas braced the shaking door with a shoulder. The elf's face was dazed and lost and he did not seem to see anything around him. Is there no other way? Gambling stepped forward. There is one passage, he said, glancing with trepidation at his king, who stood sad and glowering at the table. It leads into the mountains, but they will not get far. The Urgai are too many. One, Gimli snorted softly to himself. Aye, one they know of, surely. Aragorn shook his head in frustration and barked to Gamling, tell the women and children to make for the mountain pass and barricade the entrance. The king's eyes snapped up. So much death, he said slowly, and then his fingers clamped around the bloody hilt of his blade. 
but I will not end here, taken like an old badger in a trap. Right out with me, Aragorn said suddenly, and a strange fire was in his voice. Theoden turned to face him, a terrible and fatalistic elation building in his face. Ride out and meet them. For death and glory, Theoden said heavily, and Aragorn shook his head. For Rohan, he said. For your people. Gimli suddenly rumbled, The sun is rising. Legolas abruptly straightened, and his head whipped towards the dwarf. His eyes, which had been distant and sorrowful, suddenly shone with a brilliant joy. He took a hesitant step towards Gimli, who smiled back gently under his mask of blood. Yes, Theoden said reverently, and the light of battle was in his old strong face. Yes, the horn of Helm Hammerhand shall sound in the deep one last time. But my lord, no man can sound the horn since Helm himself fell, interjected one of the tall warriors, and Gimli laughed. Do you mark that, elf? No man, he says. Well, thank Mahal I am not and shall never be a man. This horn, I'll wager I can give it voice. Legolas's answering laugh was a ripple of spring water, and he seemed to glow as he smiled upon the exultant dwarf, a shining warrior, fell and fair and perilous beyond words. Freren suddenly gasped loudly. Narad, Thorin said, glancing down at his brother sharply. Freren's eyes had gone wild and white, and he was staring at Gimli and Legolas as though they had grown horns and tails. Are you well? Freren's mouth opened. Then it closed with a snap. Narad, Thorin said, turning to face Freren properly, worried now. Freren, what is it? Can you not speak? Freren's mouth worked uselessly for a few moments, and then he squeaked, I'm fine. Thorin frowned standing up straighter and eyeing Freren suspiciously. You are apparently struck dumb, but you are fine. Freren nodded frantically, and then he smiled a sickly little smile. Thorin fixed his brother with a stern eye. Freren. Freren's little smile faltered, and he wrung his fingers together. His eyes darted to Gimli and Legolas for a moment, before snapping back to Thorin. Um, he managed. Are. You. Well. Thorin took his brother's shoulders in his hands. Is it the sounds of the battle again? Freren licked his lips wretchedly before patting feebly at Thorin's forearms. Promise, I. I am well, all right? Let's go. You're worse than Dory. Thorin could feel his frown become stony, but he drew in a breath and turned away from his brother nevertheless. If Freren wished to be mysterious, he could do so without Thorin's observance. Beside him, Freren sagged a bit and he heard him mutter, Oh, this is going to end well, I just know it. How in Durin's name could it have ever happened? If you are well enough, Gimli is to go to the watchtower, Thorin said. Will you follow him? Freren seemed to snap back to the present, though there was still a certain wildness around his eyes. Where will you be? I will follow Aragorn, Legolas, and the king into battle, Thorin said, and nodded to where the king was clapping on his helm and shouting for his horse, Snowmane. I will not take you out there again, my brother. Stay with Gimli, you hear me? Freren nodded, and unhappiness crept back into the set of his mouth. The short, blonde braids of his beard twitched as he repressed a grimace of horror and memory. All right, thank you, 
Yes, Gimli said joyously, and lifted his mailed fist. He immediately made for the alcove where steps could be seen leading upwards, through the tower of the citadel to the place where the great horn was fixed to the rock. Go, follow him, Thorin said, and squeezed his shoulder before turning away. The receding sound of Gimli's boots signaled their departure. Let this be the hour in which we draw swords together, Theoden said to Aragorn, who lifted his chin in agreement. Gandalf is right yet again, the king turns to Aragorn, Thorin said beneath his breath, and tried to repress his scowl. Occasionally, Gandalf being right so often was, frankly, personally affronting, as it reminded Thorin of the many times in which he himself had ignored the wizard's advice. Well, we may be grateful that here we shall not encounter any trolls, Mahal forbid, he groused, and folded his arms. The king whirled and mounted his horse as Arad and Brego were led to Legolas and Aragorn, who drew his sword and held it aloft. Fell deeds awake, he said in a voice that shook the hall. Now for wrath, now for ruin, and a red dawn. Aragorn drew his sword, and Thorin turned to face the shuddering doors, their bracing timbers splintering. Forth, Erlingus! Theoden roared, and his people roared with him. The doors were thrown wide, and the sudden charge trampled the first several rows of Urukai beneath the churning hooves of the great strong horses of Rohan. Above, a huge horn blast filled the deep until the stones rang with it, and the very air trembled at the sound. Thorin raced through the open doors to stare down the causeway at the departing horses. Legolas was laying about with his white knives, and a new and carefree strength was in his every movement. A laugh was caught upon his lips. Tch, elves, said Thorin, and shook his head. Strangely, the word did not taste so sour upon his tongue anymore. Theoden was leading the charge, and beside him was Aragorn. The Uruks were spilling from the ramp into the deep as they rode grimly forward, their pace unabated, towards the deeping comb. The sky was the steel-gray and lavender of pre-dawn, and the surrounding mountains were touched at their peaks by pink rays of sunlight. The sun is rising, Thorin repeated, hope leading in his breast. Then he ran down the cause after the charging horses, passing through dead and living Uruks alike. His hands itched for Orcrist, but he had become nearly desensitized to the feeling after so long. Even so, his instincts sent him into a whirl with his arms raised over his head as a particularly large orc lurched upright, and it was not until its head did not go bouncing away that he remembered that there was no blade in his hands. Damn it, he growled, and repressed the urge to kick the thing. It would do no good. He ran on. As the dawn crept over the rim of the white mountains, a rider appeared on the ridge, clad in white and shining in the rising sun. The horn of Helm Hammerhand sounded again, and Thorin stared up at the power thus revealed. Gone was any trace of the meddling old man, and the Maiar stood cloaked in all his majesty, radiant with the light from before the marring of the world, powerful and mysterious and wise. Behold the White Rider, he roared, and heard the shout picked up by Aragorn. Behold the White Rider, Gandalf is come again. The figure raised its staff, and then a host appeared behind it. 
clearly recognizable was the horsetail plume of the tall man who rode to Gandalf's side, clad in fine armor and carrying a spear. Aomer, Thorin said in recognition, and then he shook his head at Gandalf's splendid figure. You old trickster, you are ever borrowing armies from unexpected places. The host of Rohirrim spilled down the mountain as the horn sang its song of retribution once more, and the orcs milled in confusion and anger, unsettled by this new threat. They rallied half-heartedly, dazed by the light from the east and the radiance of Gandalf, lifting their spears and pikes to form a rough barrier. It provided no use. Shadowfax broke through the Urukai ranks as though plunging into the surf of the ocean, his proud head tossing, and his neigh rising through the valley like a trumpet. Glamdring span and the staff flickered, and Gandalf shouted encouragement as the Aored of Aomar pressed on through the disoriented Urukai. Aragorn shouted in wordless greeting as he met the wizard upon the battlefield, and Legolas was laughing, fey and wild and joyous. All this Thorin watched from his height upon the ramp, and he marveled at such a victory snatched from the very jaws of a terrible massacre. Dubakar! A sudden shout behind him made him jerk, and with a sudden rush, a familiar figure was barreling down the causeway towards the battlefield. Gimli, Thorin said, alarmed by the sight his star made. Gimli was pale and bruised and filthy, and the blood upon his face now made him appear wan. His eyes were fierce and determined, however, and his axe was back in his hand. Forty, he shouted, nearly decapitating the Uruk who had lurched at Thorin earlier, before whirling and taking off the arm of another. Legolas, Legolas, where are you? Thorin, Freren said, rushing up to meet him and leaning against his shoulder. Did you hear? Did you hear him? I did, Thorin said, and then he smiled. I suspect they heard him in Erebor. He goes to find his friends, Freren said, and then winced as the sound of steel piercing flesh and armor reached his ears. I, I, go, Thorin said gently, and then let a hand rest upon Freren's golden hair. Go, it's all right, I will see you later. There is no shame in this, Freren. Go and take care of yourself. It is what I wish. Sorry, he muttered, but Thorin shook his head. I will have no apology from you for this. Go and see our mother and father and all those things that bring you back from the times that hurt. Go. Freren gave him a startled and grateful look, before Starlight limbed his silhouette and he was gone from the living world. Gimli was advancing grimly through the sea of confused Uruks, his teeth bared in a grin. Hello there, he said with satisfaction to a great orc with a tusked helm. You look a likely challenge. Gimli, you are exhausted, Thorin groaned, and then he pinched his nose between his fingers. You are certainly my cousin. Is it a fault with us, do you suppose, that we do not know how to stop? Time enough to stop when this beastie no longer troubles the earth. Gimli retorted, and he flicked his wrist, sending his axe circling in a deadly, lazy arc. Come here, then. The battle that had seemed so hopeless was now turning into a rather laughable rout. The great force of Isengard was hemmed in upon all sides, and many were attempting to flee, only to become trapped between the fortress and Aomer's riders. The horsetail plume came nearer, and Gimli looked up from where he had felled the large Uruk to see Aomer himself 
cantering through piles of bodies, his spear held at the ready. Even as the two dwarves watched, however, a number of Uruks who had lain quietly amongst the dead sprang up and charged at the rider's back. Gimli snarled in wordless outrage, and he sprang forward with a hoarse shout of his battle cry. Two orcs fell headless, though upon the last stroke there was an almighty clang. An iron collar, Gimli exclaimed, and brought his axe up to glare at the notched edge. Unlucky. Still, my count is now forty-two. Aomer slid down from his horse, his eyes wide and his expression shaken. I shall not find it easy to repay you, he said respectfully. I could not possibly let you die, could I? Gimli laughed, rubbing at the nick in his axe blade with his thumb. The matter of the Lady Galadriel still lies between us. I have yet to teach you gentle speech. Aomer smiled and then laughed in return, leaning forward to clasp Gimli's forearm in his. Thank you, Master Dwarf. I look forward to my lesson. Gimli grinned up at him before gazing about the battlefield. It seems to be all over. Yes, the enemy is routed, Aomer said, laying a hand upon the neck of Firefoot his horse. Rohan is saved, at least for now. As cheerful as a funeral, you Rohirrim, Gimli said, and swiped at his bleeding forehead. You have defeated a mighty foe, your king is himself again, and your enemies no longer tear at your heels. This is a cause worthy of celebration, surely. You forget, Master Dwarf, that Saruman was only a puppet, a reflection of a far greater evil, Aomer sighed, before he looked up. And where is our king? Gandalf told us that the lies of Grima Wormtongue and the spells of the White Wizard had been undone, but I can scarcely believe it. It has been so long since my uncle looked at me with his own eyes. Believe it, laddie, Gimli said, slapping Aomer's shoulder in reassurance. I saw the transformation with my own two eyes. Theoden King has a strong will and a sword in hand, and he will not ever let go of either again in his lifetime, that I'd wager. Aomer's eyes slid shut, and he let out a long, shuddering breath filled with old worry and heartache. Good, he said, and sagged upon his sword, Guthwine. Good. Gimli swiped at his forehead again, before swearing beneath his breath and tearing another strip of his surcoat to bind his bleeding wound. Damned thing, he muttered as he tied a firm knot. Hasn't stopped for hours, keeps getting in my eyes. Hours? You should have a leech see to that, Aomer said, removing his own helm as the last of the Urukai fled the battlefield, snarling and squealing in fear. How many times? Laddie, what am I? Gimli said pausing and adjusting his bandage. Aomer frowned. You, you are Gimli, a dwarf. I, a dwarf, not a man. I can suffer hurt that a man cannot. Believe me, this shall heal land quickly, and it is no more than an annoyance and only alarming in appearance. Aomer held up his hands and laughed again. I see you have had to remind people before. Aye, and it gets tiring, Gimli conceded, smiling and shrugging. Still, I have been awake for nearly two days, and I would like to sit down. The land has changed, Aomer said suddenly, looking to the east and frowning. Do you see? Gimli craned his neck, and Thorin also turned to look. His breath caught. Where did that forest come from? He demanded of the morning air, before his gaze alighted upon Gandalf. Where did that forest come from? Where before had stood a green dale, 
the sward of grass that led to the deeping comb. Now there stood the swaying tops of trees. They stood rank upon rank, their great limbs twisted and their boughs tangled, their hoary heads dipping in the sunlight and the breeze. They were barely two furlongs away, and Thorin could not believe that such a mighty wood could have grown, all unnoticed, in the space of the terrible night. No, no matter how much it rained, he growled, and then strode forward towards Gandalf. How in Mahal's name have you conjured this? It is, it is miraculous, and yet... Thorin could not find words. This was wizardry indeed. Peace, my friend, Gandalf murmured, and then he leaned forward as though speaking to Shadowfax, his hand carting through the silvery mane. You truly know nothing of growing things if you think a knight's reign had anything to do with this. But that is no deed of mine. It is a thing beyond even the counsel of the wise. An ancient power, all but forgotten. No, this has turned out better even than my design and all my hopes. Riddles, Thorin snorted, and Gandalf smiled to himself. Yes, riddles. They are how the old answer questions in order to encourage the young to open their minds. Your Bilbo knew that. My Bilbo. Thorin's throat snapped shut. Gandalf straightened. Have hope, Thorin Oakenshield. Sometimes things turn out better than we planned. He waved a hand towards the wood. Not for me, Thorin said, and stared at the impossible trees shifting in the dawn, the scurrying shapes of Urukai disappearing beneath their eaves. I have never had such luck. All I lived through turned to desperation, hardship, and missed chances. I do not trust to hope any longer. Gandalf turned compassionate eyes upon him, studying him thoughtfully. I suppose so, he said slowly, and then sighed. The more I learn about you, Thorin, the more I wish I had known when you were here in truth. Lord Ale is wiser than me, and no doubt he has his reasons behind your gift. Still, there are times when I wonder if it is not cruel to parade before you all that you fought for and never won. Thorin continued to stare out over the battlefield. That may be nothing at all should Mordor succeed where Isengard has failed, and I would not relinquish my gift, no, nor Gimli's friendship and the strong, proud Erebor of Dane, even though I may never grasp them. Changed and changing still, Gandalf murmured, and then he turned as Aragorn approached, along with Legolas and the king. As ever, you arrive in the very hour of need, Theoden said, grasping at Gandalf's shoulder before pulling the wizard into a rough embrace. Gandalf's eyes widened, and he seemed lost for words for once. Thorin folded his arms and watched with vast satisfaction. Aragorn laughed his soft, rusty laugh, and Legolas smiled faintly. Then, a great shout came from down in the dike, and out came Aomer and Gimli, followed by a score of men and elves bedraggled and weary from the battle. Forty-two, Master Legolas! Gimli cried in a loud, strong voice. Alas, my axe is notched. The forty-second had an iron collar on his neck. How is it with you? Legolas slid down from Arad and stepped towards Gimli, bright elven eyes lingering upon the rough bandage about his head. You have passed my score by one, he said, and then a brilliant smile flashed upon his face, and he fell forward to grasp Gimli's shoulders in his hands and draw the dwarf closer. But I do not begrudge you the game, so glad am I to see you on your legs. 
Welcome, Aomer, sister son, Theoden said. Now I see you are safe. I am glad indeed. Aomer stared and stared at his uncle as though he could not believe his own eyes. Hail, Lord of the Mark, he said, before he ducked his head. I, uncle, I, here, Theoden said, and pulled Aomer close to lay a kiss upon his brow. Here now, brave one, thank you for all you tried to do. If it were not for your sister and yourself, I would have been lost indeed, and Gandalf would have no path to bring me back to myself. Aomer shuddered slightly, and when he raised his proud, wild yellow head, his eyes were full of tears of joy. But come now, Gandalf, Theoden said, turning to the wizard, though he kept his hand upon Aomer's rough cheek. You have not told us what sorcery brought these woods here. Ah, not woods alone, Theoden King, Gandalf said, and he nodded towards the trees. Watch. It began with a twitch here, a canopy swaying against the wind. Then the creak of wood and a savage scream rang out, and before Thorin could comprehend it, the wood was billowing and rolling as though thrashed in a gale, and the cries and shrieks of the Urukai came from under their branches. He shuddered and shrank away from the suddenly terrible wood. Zuznin Zermthahor, he muttered, and pressed his feet harder against Mahal's good earth for protection. Yes, Gandalf said, in what was nearly a drawl, his bushy eyebrows rising. I wouldn't go near the trees if I were you. What is this wizardry? Theoden breathed, staring at the wood in wonder and horror. Even Legolas, a wood elf of Mirkwood and accustomed to dangerous forests, had drawn himself up tall and white-faced at the sight and sound of the Urukai being torn asunder under the clinging branches. It is not wizardry, but a power far older, Gandalf said, a power that walked the earth ere elf sang or hammer rang. Ere iron was found or tree was hewn, when young was mountain under moon, ere ring was made or rot was woe, it walked the forests long ago. Riddles, Thorin growled, and threw his hands up in disgust. Gandalf's eyes twinkled. And what may be the answer? Theoden asked. If you would learn that, you should come with me to Isengard, answered Gandalf. To Isengard? cried Legolas and Aomer in unison, and Gimli shifted, his hand tightening upon his axe. I shall not stay there long, but I must speak with Saruman before much time has passed, Gandalf said, looking back towards the east and the gap of Rohan, where lay the valley of Orthanc. We have not the numbers to assail the tower, for it was built by greater craft in ages past. Still, we do not go to a battle. You need not come with me. I will meet you in Edoras henceforth, if that is your will. We will not desert you now, Aragorn promised and together Gimli and Legolas moved forward to flank him. Gandalf gave them a proud and grateful look, before turning to the Rohirrim. In the dark hour before dawn, I doubted, said Theoden, and he nodded firmly. We will not part now. I will welcome you, if that is your counsel. Since Saruman has done you great injury, it would be fitting if you were there, said Gandalf. But how soon may you ride? My men are weary with battle, said the king and I am weary also, for I have ridden far and slept little. Alas, my old age is not feigned nor due only to the whisperings of Wormtongue. It is an ill that no leech can wholly cure, not even Gandalf. Then let all who are to ride with me rest now, said Gandalf, 
we will journey under the shadow of evening. It is as well, for it is my counsel that all our comings and goings should be as secret as may be henceforth. But do not command many men to go with you, Theoden. We go to a parley, not to a fight. Theoden nodded back before glancing at the sinister forest again, and then turning to Aemer. Send word to your sister, he said. She has taken the people into the caves. They may come out if they wish, or send foodstuffs out to the menfolk if they cannot bear to see a battlefield. I will not censure them either way. We will send the old and the young to Edoras with those riders who will bear them. My Aerid I keep with me, and I would have you by my side, nephew. Aomer bowed his head, the joy and disbelief still warring in his face. We will ride at dusk, Gandalf said, before he followed the king and the third marshal up towards the keep, where they would take their rest. Well, my friend, looks like I am to share a saddle with you again, Gimli said, and grinned as Legolas laughed. Say rather that we are to share a saddle with Arid, and how is that hurt of yours? Best not to ask, Master Legolas, laughed Aomer, and Gimli grumbled underneath his breath for a moment. It was only a feeble blow and the cap turned it, he muttered, as Legolas knelt before him and eased away the makeshift bandage. Underneath, blood still seeped sluggishly from the wound. It would take more than an orc scratch to keep me back. I will tend it while you rest, said Aragorn. Gimli scowled before looking up at Legolas. I look that bad then? You are a dwarf, said Legolas with absolute solemnity. You cannot really help that. Gimli snorted and pushed out with a hand, sending Legolas sprawling into the hoof-churned mud, laughing gaily. Arrogant elf. Hold still, said Aragorn wearily, bringing out a pouch from within his travel-worn jerkin. I have Ethelus still from Rivendell, though the herb is dried and less potent. I will need you to find clean water, Legolas, so stop antagonizing each other and search. Legolas sat up. Aragorn, we were not fighting. We have overcome the old lies. Ach, leave it, laddie, said Gimli, taking Legolas's hand and hoisting him from the ground. It's all right, truly, Aragorn. Just a bit of sparring to keep in a hand. Please, Legolas, find me some water for the sake of peace, and for the sake of my poor parched throat. Legolas looked as though he were about to say something more, but then he squeezed Gimli's hand tightly before speeding, light-footed and sure as a deer, for the citadel. All right, but you're teasing fools nobody, least of all me, Aragorn muttered, turning back to the dwarf and giving him a stern look. Now sit down, you stubborn thing, he said, and glared until Gimli surrendered, grudgingly, and sat upon the turf. You are a mess. Where did you stow yourself when the deep was taken? Ah, that was a marvel indeed, said Gimli, and then he yawned hugely. Ah, sorry. It has been some days since I slept. I feel as though I could sleep so deeply it were as if my maker's arms cradled me. I fought my way out of the deep to the foot of the mountain. There I found the glorious caves of Helm's Deep, Aragorn, so beautiful they stole my breath and my wits for long moments. I still find it astonishing that these Rohirrim walk with such beauty beneath their feet and never see it, never know that a starlit sky rests deep under the earth, cupped underneath the echoing domes and and I find I lose all way to speak of them. My feeble words cannot capture even a tenth of their glory. Gimli's voice was growing drowsy as he spoke. Aragorn smiled. Your words paint a vast and beautiful picture indeed, and so they must be ten times as magnificent. 
as though Khaled Zaram has been transmuted into all the fibers of the earth, thin and sensuous like the skin of a living hand, as starry as the deepest night. Gimli sighed, and his eyes slid shut. Thorin sat down beside the weary Dwero and felt his own tiredness sweep over him. And I have had more rest than you, he murmured, and watched as Aragorn carefully wiped away the worst of the muck and blood from Gimli's brow with a rough but clean cloth in which the herb had been wrapped. The man respectfully skirted Gimli's beard, but did clean away the dirt and mud from his hairline, lest it seep into his wound. Gimli barely stirred. Are you still awake, Gimli? Aragorn said eventually in a low voice, and Gimli did not respond. So tired that he falls asleep on a battlefield, said the man, and then he stretched his long legs out before him, his sword flat on the trampled grass as he tipped his straggly head back in the sunshine. Thorin regarded him for a moment, taking in this king of men who disappeared and was seemingly resurrected before their eyes, clad in stained leathers and an elvish charm. Why did you never want the throne? He wondered aloud. Do you feel you are not fit to help your people? Do you fear the past so much? Do you prefer the wild open spaces of Ariador? Aragorn sighed again, his shoulders rounding as the exertions of the night caught up with him. With his face tilted back to the sun and the light striking his profile, Thorin was suddenly, and for the first time, struck by the resemblance Aragorn had to the great statues of the Argonath. Should he ever let his beard grow, he would be the very image of the great kings of old. Here, said a light voice, and Legolas ran up upon light feet with a skin held between his hands. I begged it from the Erkenbrand. There is a spring within the keep, so I may fetch more if it is needed. He stopped speaking to gaze at Gimli, and his eyes widened as he saw the small, broad figure lying motionless. Is he well? Yes, he is well, Aragorn said taking a swallow of the water before wetting the bit of cloth. He has no concussion, his eyes are sharp, the pupils focus readily, and his speech is not slurred. Far from it. Surely a dwarven head needs no helm, so hardy are their skulls. But that cut is still bleeding, and I like not how long it has bled, nor how pale he is. But he sleeps now, exhausted. He let me sleep the night before the battle, Legolas said, taking the cloth from Aragorn and wringing it out slightly. He hesitated, and then he began to sponge the rest of the filth from Gimli's face. Gimli did not respond, his straight Durin brows smoothed out in repose. He looked carven from stone as he lay, silent and still. I was sorrowing and afraid of mortal grief, and he soothed my fears. He speaks to me sometimes, and the world is made a simpler place, a better place. Aragorn took out a small bowl, and in it he began to grind the dried ethylis with the pommel of his knife. I have found unexpected wisdom in all of our fellowship at times, he said, his voice thoughtful. Merry and Pippin, now there is an unexpected place to find wisdom. But their blithe spirits and irrepressible natures may teach us much. I never thought to find wisdom in a dwarf, Legolas said softly, wiping down Gimli's cheek. His long, pale fingers hovered over Gimli's thick wild hair. No, nor beauty either. Aragorn looked up, startled. Legolas? The elf paused, and when he spoke again, his voice was barely audible. Demoline, Aragorn. There was a silence, and then Aragorn shook his head roughly. Man Ebeneg, he demanded. Westren, Thorin growled. Demoline, 
Legolas said, and closed his eyes. Meline Gimli. Siver, Aragorn said, leaning forward and reaching out to touch Legolas's forehead. The elf batted his hand away irritably. I tell you it is true, he said insistently, before turning back to look down at the sleeping dwarf. I never knew, not until I thought him lost. Then it was clear to me. He is the one I have waited for, and nothing shall part my heart from his, not war or death or my people or his. Thorin froze. His blood began to crystallize in his veins, except where it pounded in his temples. Legolas looked up, defiance in his eyes. You disapprove? Aragorn blew out a long breath, and then he chuckled softly. Melanine, I am absolutely amazed you have not actually realized this before now. Legolas blinked. So did Thorin. You have been making my life a misery with your ineptitude and blindness since we left the fords of Sarngabir, Aragorn continued smiling. I confess, I cannot understand your choice, however. You are an elf. He is but a dwarf. Thorin's ire immediately rose, but to his absolute astonishment, Legolas was miles ahead of him. And because he is a dwarf, he is unworthy of me? The elf snarled in a low voice, his face twisted as Thorin had never seen it before. Because I am an elf, he is below me? Aragorn, you remain tangled in the old lies. He is the best of beings, the most loyal, the kindest and noblest and most beautiful. I will have no other. I can have no other. I meant no insult to him. He is my friend and companion, Aragorn said, alarmed. Legolas, I only meant that he is a mortal. Legolas glared at the man for a moment and then turned away to look down upon Gimli once more. His eyes turned impossibly tender, and he said, The jewel around your neck, was it not given to you by an elf, son of Gilrain? Aragorn's mouth snapped shut, and he swallowed hard. I love her, but she sacrifices too much for that love. I cannot bear the guilt. There is none to bear, Legolas said, and his long hand reached out again to touch the lock of red hair that forever escaped Gimli's braids to hang over his forehead. No guilt to shoulder. If an elf loves, it is our gift and our choice, and we may not take it back. You cannot take responsibility for a gift freely given. Aragorn looked troubled, and he wrapped a hand around the Evanstar about his neck as he looked out upon the new day. I am not worthy of her. That is not for you to decide, Legolas said, and he looked up again. And now I understand why you think Gimli below me. Aragorn, you have been raised by elves and you know our ways. Tell me, can you think of any elf who would be dissuaded from the truth of their heart? The man was still, and then he slumped. Hand me the water skin, I should bathe his head. Legolas passed the skin over, and then he lay down beside the short and sturdy body his eyes traveling over the huge arms and shoulders to the deep chest and fine beard, and then the short and thick legs with their heavy boots. He is so different to everything I have ever known, Legolas said finally, and then he laid his head upon his hands, and his eyes grew far away and distant. Thorin stumbled to his feet, wiping at his numb, slack mouth. Anger was still warring with disbelief in the pit of his stomach, and he could feel his wrath building, building slowly but surely beneath the surface of his shock. Son of Thranduil, 
he croaked, before he staggered backwards and reached out blindly. The stars of Gimlin Zaram caught him as he fell. End of chapter 26.